Now, this series, I don't know if you've all been here for this series. Some of you may have been, some of you may not have been. It's called Joseph, the Hidden Hand of God. And it's very much looking at God working in the background. If we can have that first slide, that would be great. God working in the background of the story of Joseph. He's the son of Jacob, someone called Jacob. And it's very much, to me, like a soap on the TV. It's got lots of cliffhangers. It's got lots of twists and turns. You have to know the characters. You have to know, know a bit to get it. And so I wanted to, to sort of talk about that with you a bit uh, this evening. And it's, it's about this hidden hand of God that's running through the whole story. Uh, that's our particular focus. And often we might find it hard to spot what God is up to in this story. It might not always be clear, so I hope to bring out some of those bits that maybe you've missed um, that are in there. And, of course, that's a bit like everyday life, isn't it? You know, often you th- we're thinking, what's, what on earth is God doing in this situation? I'm not sure. I don't know what's going on. So it very much reflects our everyday life experience So let's just pray. Lord, help us to see what you're up to in this chapter from the book of Genesis tonight. And help us too, Lord, to focus on you and see what you're up to in our daily lives, in our front lines, whatever we do during the week. So I'll I'll do this, I'll continue this quick recap before Joseph comes up and reads us the whole of chapter 44. Um, So let's have a quick recap. So you've got Jacob, who is Joseph's dad, that's very important to know. Jacob thinks Joseph is dead and still has a favoured youngest son, Benjamin, and he wants to protect him from harm. And Jacob was particularly fond of the two sons he had with his wife, Rachel. He really loved Rachel. He wanted to marry her, but he was tricked into marrying her elder sister by scheming father-in-law. And so he eventually got to marry Rachel he had two children with Rachel, and he had children with Leah and some maidservants as well. And Jacob was therefore particularly fond of these two boys, Joseph and Benjamin. Benjamin's with his father, Jacob, and Joseph. Well, Joseph has become this amazing second-in-command in Egypt. He's really important, but they think he's dead. So at first, when the famine, this famine hit hard, it hit Jacob's family hard, and they needed food. So Jacob didn't want to send Benjamin off. He was worried about his safety in Egypt, and so he kept him at home. But of course, Joseph wants to see the whole family and so on. So that's going on in the background. And it's interesting, we looked in our small group at Psalm 72 recently, and I think it's got real echoes in this passage. Because in that psalm, it's probably to do with Solomon, but it talks of a great leader king who people come to see because he provides for the poor and the needy. That's his focus, that's his model for leadership. Um, So for any of us, when we're in leadership, it's worth bearing in mind. We're all sometimes in a situation where we have power over someone else. So it doesn't mean if you run on some big corporation, you might be looking after children or whatever, or aged parents, it can be anything. And it can help us, I think, to develop that attitude in our leadership. So the first question, just to throw out before we really get into this, is are we servant leaders or leaders who want others to serve us? Because it can be tempting to do it the other way around. Are we servant leaders or leaders who want others to serve us? So 
So Psalm 72 talks about this loving leader king. And he says about this, it says about this king, For this king will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. And that rang bells with me because here we've got Joseph, who's second in command to Pharaoh, enabling uh, the Pharaoh king who doesn't follow Yahweh, the God of Israel and the God of all, doesn't follow him. Joseph enables the Egyptian king to act a bit like this king in Psalm 72. And ultimately, like Yahweh, the God of all. Because Joseph comes up with this plan, which you've heard about already if you've been here for the series, to provide for the people of Egypt in the famine, and also people from other countries who are needy and hungry, like uh, Jacob's family. So this plan means that the Pharaoh king, with Joseph's help, does, as the psalm says, take pity on the weak and needy and save the needy from death in the famine you could add. And some of those needy and hungry are Joseph's own family, although his family, remember, think Joseph is dead. It's quite complicated, isn't it? Which is why I wanted to do this introduction. Because so then it tells us in chapter 42, which Richard spoke to us about, when Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt... He said to his sons, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down and buy some for us so we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob didn't send Benjamin, as I mentioned, Joseph's brother with the others because he was afraid harm might come to him. So that's your situation. And as we saw last week, Richard talked to us about chapters 42 and 43. Benjamin did end up going to Egypt in the end after his brother Judah He's the big character tonight, Judah, so don't miss him. Reassured his father Jacob he would be responsible for Benjamin's safety. So the brothers met Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. And they ate with him, and they arrived, and when they arrived to buy food. But of course, they don't know it's Joseph. That's really important. He's just seen as a powerful Egyptian leader, second in command. They don't realize it's this brother they sold into slavery, and they think he's dead. And that is where our Joseph, very appropriate, is going to come and read to us the chapter. So pin your ears back and listen out for Judah as well. About comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 44, verse 1 to 34. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sack with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in their mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack along with the silver for his grain. And he did, as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you've done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, why does my Lord say such things? 
Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why will we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servant is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will be become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. And the rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in. And they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by definition? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was, who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my lord. Let me speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My lord, ask this servant, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then he said to your servants, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servant, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my, my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me. And I said, He was surely been torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me, Two and ham comes to him, he will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, 
And if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servant will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. This is the word of the Lord. So previously we've seen Joseph is a great leader. He comes up with a plan, like great leaders do, which Pharaoh allows Joseph to put into action to help the needy people who are short of food, both in Egypt and beyond. And Joseph's brothers sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt, and Joseph is testing them here, I think, to see if they've really, they're really sorry for what they've done to him and whether they've changed. That's what's going on in a lot of that stuff about the putting the silver in the bags and all that. And in the previous chapters, we've seen Judah take a leadership position amongst his brothers for the good of Joseph, as it turns out. And earlier in Genesis 37, Judah takes the lead. I'll give you the examples of his leadership here in persuading the brothers not to kill Joseph, but to sell him as a slave. So Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother? They want to kill him. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. For after all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. So he got them to compromise and they agreed to it. So then he goes off, then he turns up in Egypt, etc., etc., becomes second in command. Then... In Genesis 43, 8 and 9, Judah again t- takes the lead. He promised he would keep Benjamin safe when Joseph insisted that he get more, more food. Uh, the brother, and the, brother, the brothers had to take Benjamin with them the next time. So Judah said to Israel, his father, that is Jacob, send the boy along with me and I will go at once so that we and your children, our children, may live and not die. And Judah says... I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. He's taking leadership. If I did not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. So he's reassuring his father he's taking the lead. Then here in chapter 44 that we're looking at tonight, Judah again takes a leadership role. Then he says in verse 33, he makes this emotional appeal to this Egyptian second-in-command, who's actually his brother Joseph. He says to him, now, now then, Joseph, Egyptian second-in-command, he doesn't know it's Joseph, please let your servant remain here as my lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy's not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that will come on my father. This is really emotional stuff. If you read the whole thing, it's very emotional stuff. He's pleading. So Judas' leadership starts with, if you click now, starts with saving Joseph from death. 
And then it moves on to guaranteeing the safety of his brother Joseph, uh, Benjamin, and then to help his father Jacob be assured that Benjamin would be kept safe. Then we see the ultimate leadership here in this last one, when Judah says uh, to Joseph, he'll take the punishment for the alleged theft of the cup, which of course was fixed up by Joseph to test them. And he would become Joseph's slave instead of Benjamin being taken into slavery by Joseph. So he's really putting himself on the line now in his leadership. So Judah's leadership has shown him thinking of the good of his father Jacob and of the good of Benjamin before his own good. He was prepared to become a slave for life to help both them and his family. And I I believe he reflects the values of this king in Psalm 72 and his leadership. And of course, this must... This must resonate with you who know Jesus, who try to follow him. It resonates because this is rather like Jesus, the King of Kings too, isn't it? He puts himself on the line for us. Because Judah here increasingly didn't think of himself, of getting his own way, of making things comfortable for himself in his leadership. He thought of his father, he thought of Benjamin and his brother before himself, and was even willing to become a slave to help them, to serve them. And of course, doesn't that remind you of the King of Kings, Jesus? Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God, who shows us what God is like. And Jesus talked about leadership in exactly these terms, of of not having power over others, but in terms of helping others, serving others. Uh, You know the story probably, but two of the disciples wanted a really good place. They wanted to be in a powerful position, James and John. They they wanted to be right up there in in charge of everyone. And Jesus then had to tell them about how you really need to give up power and serve others. And he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercising authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, who wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to, put, to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Those familiar words. And this, again, is our model for leadership too. Not lording it over others, but serving them. We should try to do it Jesus' way, God's way. And increasingly, I think you can see that Judah switched to that way of leadership. He led in that way, serving his father and Benjamin to his own discomfort. It didn't make life easier for Judah, but he did it anyway. So think, just have a think now. Are you in a leadership position, not, maybe not all the time, but some of the time over someone else? You may lead looking after children, an elderly relative, whatever. You may be in charge of a big corporation. I don't know. Or in your job as a carer. There's lots of ways you have power over others. Are we tempted to lord it over others, do things for our own comfort and convenience, rather than serving and helping others as Jesus wants wants us to? And I've been tempted to do that, and I've been in various leadership positions, as probably you have. And... I'm aware of that temptation. And so I have to keep thinking, I'm here for those people. 
not for my own needs. Remember, Jesus came to serve rather than be served and give his life as a ransom for many. So are we servant leaders or do we want others to serve us? That's the question, really. Are we servant leaders or do we want others to serve us? And this is the cliffhanger, right? And, and the person who, who's going to have the pleasure of telling you what happens is sitting here this evening. Yes. Can anyone guess who it is? You don't know, do you? I happen to know. It's Nigel sitting quietly there because in two weeks he's going to preach on the next chapter and he's going to tell you what happens, right? But, but, if we're servant leaders, we're going to see the positive results that come from that model and that model in Psalm 72 uh, and in Joseph and Judas servant serve model of leadership, but you're going to have to wait two weeks till Nigel speaks about that. So, Judas' leadership so, showed signs of serving others, but why did he change then? From someone who wished Joseph great harm, maybe even death at one stage, to someone who cared for the needs of his father, who cared for Benjamin and his family more than his own needs. Well, to find out more, I think we need to look at God working quietly in the background. And already you've got it up there, Judah's repentance. Why did Judah turn around, have a change of heart? So we're starting to talk about what repentance is. And if you've been here when I'm leading, I tend to do this with the children, but it's just as true for adults. So the meaning of repentance is you turn around towards God. That's the thing. And, And... Victoria gave a bit of testimony about how she did that. That's how she became a Christian. And and our behavior changes because we turn to God. And it's also got elements of heartfelt sorrow for what we do wrong. That's the sign for sorry, if you don't know. So this results in a change of heart and a change of where we look in life. That's repentance. And repentance means we turn and look to God, to Jesus, to try and follow his way of doing things. As we look to God, we realize we let him down. We don't act in a loving way like he does all the time. We realize we let him down. So Judah certainly had a change of heart, which we can see in his behavior. He changed from trying to harm Joseph to a person who served his father, his brother Benjamin, and the family. But did he turn to God, you might say to yourselves, if you're very sharp-witted this evening, You'll be saying, did he actually turn to God, though? He just did it anyway. Ah, we've got to look for the hidden hand of God here. Now, obviously, Jesus would come a long time after Jesus' time. He would walk around on the earth showing people what God is like. But if we look carefully, I think we can see some heartfelt sorrow here with Judah for what he'd done and a turning to God. I think we can see it. We can see that repentance So if you look at verse 16, if you've still got your Bible open at chapter 44, verse 16, um, you can see that Judah felt this incident was God revealing the guilt that the brothers had all those years years earlier at Joseph being sold into slavery. And they thought Joseph was probably dead. They didn't realize he was talking to them. And of course, he's testing them as well to see if they've really changed. And so Judah says, what can we say to my Lord, talking to his own brother without realizing it? 
What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now, my Lord, slaves. We ourselves are the one who was found to have the cup. Judah said, God has uncovered your servant's guilt. He knew God was revealing his past wrongdoing. He knew what was going on. And I think we can see his heartfelt sorrow and turning to God in his actions as he offers to become a slave instead of his brother Benjamin. In acting this way, he gives us a foretaste of what Jesus, who was descended from the tribe of Judah, would do on the cross for all of us. He would die in our place. He would buy us freedom on the cross. He would serve us on the cross because he loves us so much. And I'm sure Judah did the same for love for his family, for Benjamin and so on. The verse is, uh, I'll repeat it again, it's worth repeating. For the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So I think Judah showed signs of turning to God and sorrow for what he'd done. So he repented. He repented. And what a difference repentance makes. What a difference it makes. How powerful it is. I mean, you can see Judah's attitude powerfully in this chapter. And next week, we're going to see the powerful effect it has on Joseph, who's been trying to control himself throughout all these things. He has to keep going off to weep because he's so moved by seeing his family. Now, last week, I was at a, another church. And I heard a sermon. Uh, and this woman was speaking a very powerful story. And, and she talked about... Um, a church where she went when she was younger. And, and there was a man there who, um, who was a very gentle, lovely man, Christian. But that man previously had been in prison for theft and, and for some other crime, I'm not sure what. And in prison, he'd become a Christian. He decided to follow Jesus. He'd repented. He turned round. And, and he, he loved talking about Jesus, and he was, a, he was a lovely man. Everyone said, well, lovely man, you know. And her dad, this woman's dad, who was speaking, he, he wasn't a Christian, but he, I think he knew this man. And her dad gets very ill, and in fact, they know he's going to die fairly soon. And then he wrote his daughter, the woman speaking, he wrote her a letter. And in the letter he said... You know, I remember that man who was in prison. And I remember how he changed, how he repented, how he turned round. And I've decided, I've, I've made the decision already, I'm decided to follow Jesus. And then she received the letter and the next day his dad, her dad died quite earlier than they expected. But what a, what a moving story. What a difference repentance makes. If that man in prison all those years earlier... And then he continued to follow Jesus all through the years. What a powerful, powerful thing that was. And that saved that man's life on his deadbed. What a difference repentance makes. And that, the man who was the prisoner, who became the Christian, probably had no idea that this was going to happen, did he? Like most of us sitting here, if we've become Christians, we, we have no idea our, our decision to follow Jesus, the effect that has on others. We probably have no idea. But it's very, very powerful. So I want to encourage you this evening. 
that your turning to Jesus, your repentance, is very powerful. And our lifestyle of repentance, keep turning to him, can lead others to follow Jesus. We may never know how it's helped them, but it can lead others to follow Jesus. So be encouraged. Your following of Jesus is very powerful. And repentance, of course, is also a continual habit, as we had in the service this evening. We need to nurture it and as we move through life, because we can best serve others by continually turning to God, focusing on the God who serves us, asking for his help through the Spirit. It's a lifestyle that helps us to serve others. And a useful phrase that I've remembered for a long time is, look at what God is doing and join him in it. This is a simple summary of how we can serve God in everyday life. Look at what God is doing and serve him in it. And one of the things we can do to see uh, what God is doing, um, sorry, I'll get my place again, is look for him drawing people turning to him to, turning to him to repent. And then we can encourage them further along that process of turning to God. And we, we run various courses here, and, and I'm sure many of you have been praying for your friends. They would turn to God too. And I think we can see that Judah went through that process, and when he was suggested selling his brother in slavery rather than killing him, he was maybe in this early stages of turning to God. And then later, when we see Judah willing to become a slave instead of Benjamin, we can see he really is turning to God in a big way. He's putting himself on the line by this stage. And also you can see that Joseph is testing, and he's looking out for signs, isn't he, in his brother's to see if they've, they're really sorry and they're really turning to God and what are they up to. He's looking for signs. So we can be like Joseph in looking for signs of people turning to God amongst our friends, our pray for three people, our family, work colleagues and so on. So this, this thing here, you can just about see it. It's very tiny, I'm sorry. But I can't show it you otherwise, but that's a scale. And it's called a mod, the modified angle scale. And basically, it's... If you had the bigger one, I might be able to show it you a little bit better. Slightly bigger, but the, the words are too small, I know. But it, the, the, basically, it goes from minus 10 to minus 1, and then the, the bit at the top is about when you've become a Christian, how you might become more committed to Jesus, that kind of thing. right? So it's called the Engel scale, and I think it's really useful because it helps us to look and see what God's doing and join him in it, maybe with ourselves. I mean... You know, we might find we're somewhere on that scale ourselves there, and you might think, oh, that's me. And I'll give you a couple of examples from it. I know you can't read it properly. Um, and if, if, you, if you look uh, at the, the final top bit, it says, I want to follow Jesus. I love God. Jesus is front and center of my life. So that's like when you've decided to really follow him. And then you can see those various stages moving up. So minus seven, which is down near bottom right, oh, bottom right, that minus seven in red, it says there is something out there, a supreme being, ghosts, etc. Christians are sort of okay. I know some people like that, you know. I can think of people. Can you think of people? That might be you here this evening. You might be, you might be thinking along those lines. So that, that's sort of minus seven, and you're trying to get closer to that minus one and then following Jesus. Or you could go to minus two, which is on the left at the top. 
I know I, know I need to do something. I, I do. Um, it really feels like a big step of faith, though. It's a big thing to do, isn't it? It's a big thing, and it is a big thing to do. But you might be there, or you might know someone who's there. So this angle scale can help you, like Joseph, look for signs of repentance of turning to God in people. And if you want a copy of it, you could, I think I saw Kathy here. She's still here. Hey! Oh, she's out there. Oh, there she is. Anyway, you can email Kathy. Please don't ring her up. Email Kathy, and she will send you a copy of this so that you can read it properly, okay? So do email the office. She works in the office, and you can get a copy so that you can use it in maybe looking out for your friends and family and seeing uh, if you can help them along that path. Or even if yourself, you're on that path, you could, you could maybe find it useful. So I'd encourage you all to pray for signs of people turning to God, to look out for what God's doing and, and join him in what he's doing every day. So let's, let's look at a quick summary now. So Judah's change of heart. Judah encourages us to be servants like Jesus. Judah encourages us to repent, turn to God, admit our wrongdoing and live a life of repentance, which we've seen is very powerful. And Joseph, moving to Joseph, maybe encourages us to look for those signs of repentance turning to God in our family, friends, work colleagues, and to encourage them to keep going, keep going towards God. And it might encourage us too, if we're on that, somewhere on there too, to keep going towards God. He's so wonderful. Keep going towards him. So let's just pray for a moment. Lord of all, we thank you so much that you serve us Every day, you've provided this world for us, you've provided everything we have, and you've provided the means for coming to you today and even living through death in Jesus dying for us on the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for all this. Help us, Lord, to be servant leaders like you. Help us, Lord, to encourage others to repent and turn to you like Judah did. And help us, too, to continually live a life of repentance of turning to you. And help us to see what you're doing and join you in it as we encourage others to follow you. We ask all these things in your great name, Jesus. Amen.